want to echo that, that you are our everything. God, there are so many things happening right now in our world, so many things that are distracting us, disturbing us. And I just praise you that no matter what's going on, that Jesus, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You have everything under control. And I just pray, God, that our eyes would not be on the circumstances, many of the things that are very disturbing, but they'd be on you, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, thank you that we here in this city and this state can worship you and meet in openness and that we don't have to apologize or justify getting together. I pray we'll never take our gathering together for granted, that we would always realize what a privilege it is. And I pray, Lord, today that as, as we've worshiped you freely and as we look at your word, that you would transform our lives because we've come into contact with you, the living God, and with your living word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Just as a source of celebration, uh, just in the last three weeks, we've had two people come to a brand new faith in Jesus Christ. And so let's give God the glory for that. We'll be scheduling a baptism shortly. Um, I have to look at when we drain, drain the tank out, we have to drain it into the parking lot. So we've got to figure some of those logistics out, but we will we'll figure that out. So probably in February. And if, you, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you've never been baptized, uh, please think about it and consider that. We'll be putting more of that in our program in, uh, in the next week. Um, just also a, a cause for celebration. Um, Lexi, Danny and Lexi Davis had a baby this week. Now, it was a little touch and go. Um, uh, Sheila was here in rehearsal on Wednesday night. She got the emergency phone call saying something was going wrong. So they rushed her to the hospital and had an emergency C-section. And little Kylie was born and is still in the hospital. So a few health issues. But uh, so Danny and Lexi have a brand new baby girl, Kylie. So let's uh, give God... Celebrate those things. God is good. Life keeps going on and on. So, how many of you, as you look back over your life, can recall the most frightening experience you ever had? Just think for a minute. Think about the most frightening. Ex no, don't relive it. Okay, that's okay. Just think about it for a minute. Maybe it's a near miss in an automobile or a, a plane ride through turbulence. A war experience. Maybe it was when you were picked up by the police. Or maybe it was sleeping through your alarm and realizing that today is your math final. What was your most frightening experience? Or what, what was the biggest challenge that you've ever faced, the biggest obstacle? Maybe you're looking at 2022 and there's a huge obstacle in front of you in 2022. Maybe a frightening circumstance today. A monster. Maybe you're wondering, what can I do? How can I get through this situation facing me? 
When faced with a monster, a big obstacle and a scary thing, we might be asking God, what is God doing? Where is God in all of this? Is there a God? And if so, does he even care? Does he care? Well, we all face scary challenges in our life. I call it the big, the big. We all face the big, the big one, a heart attack, the big E, the mother of all earthquakes, the big D, divorce, the big C, cancer, the big B, bankruptcy, the big. Obstacles that are too big for us to handle on our own. How do we deal with the big in our lives? Well, today we're going to look at how one man dealt with the big. He was an ancient Israelite named Caleb. We're going to look at the big. Four keys to winning over the big in our lives as we look at Joshua 14. Joshua, the 14th chapter. We're going to start with verse 6 in Joshua 14. If you want to look for it in the Bible in the rack in front of you, it's on page 180. Joshua 14, verse 6. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since that time. He said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me I will drive them out, just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. In chapter 15, one verse, verse 14, from Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Sheshai, Aham, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. Caleb was an ancient Israelite, not because he was 85 years old, but because he lived in the time of history when Israel was conquering Canaan, the area known today as Palestine. 45 years earlier, Caleb had been promised the land as an inheritance. Now, land, I know land is very important to some of you. Most of us, well, some of you work the land, but back in this day, land was the lifeblood for people. This was largely an agrarian culture. The economy of Israel is based on land and its ability to support people economically. There was only one problem with Caleb's promised land. Someone else had the land. 
And not just anyone, but giants. Giants. Talking about the big. This is literally the big. But Caleb has so much faith and confidence in God that not only did he welcome the challenge of beating the giants out of their land, he asked for it. He asked for it. So how did Caleb deal with the big in front of him? And what, what difference does this make to us today in dealing with the big in our lives? Let's see what it, how it applies to us today. Four keys to winning over the big. Key number one, remember. Remember. Remember God's acts in the past. If we look at chapters 12 and 13 of Joshua, we find a list of 31 kings. You can count them. 31, don't count them now, but 31 kings that had occupied the land of Canaan. And Israel, in God's strength, had subdued, destroyed, and devastated all 31 kings. And Caleb had just come through those battles. Caleb had witnessed those those God's incredible power. He was flushed with victory. He remembered. He remembered. But there's more to it than that part of it. 45 years earlier, as we look back into the book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14, we discover that Caleb had made remembering part of his lifestyle. He made remembering part of his lifestyle. Remembering God's acts. Caleb was one of the 12 original spies who scouted out the land of Canaan for Moses. Caleb, along with Joshua, presented what they called, or what we'd call the minority report. The minority report said, we can defeat the giants in the land. We can. It was a positive. The majority report said, we can't. There's no way we can. Why was Caleb so positive back then, saying we can? Because he remembered. What did he remember? He remembered the power of God. He remembered God's power displayed in the judgments on the Egyptians, the crossing of the Red Sea, the drowning of the entire Egyptian army following them into the Red Sea. Now, one, one writer who he was attempting to minimize the crossing of the Red Sea, and he said, well, that wasn't that big a deal. The, the, the water was only six inches deep then. The answer was, well, that's even more amazing that that God drowned the entire Egyptian army in six inches of water. Any way you look at it, to remember. Caleb remembered. Remembering builds faith. Faith to overcome the big, the obstacles in front of us. Alan Redpath writes this, and it's in your notes. Sometimes in the course of human experience, it is good to sit down and reflect on what has been conquered by the grace of God, to recall where God has triumphed, has been conquered to see where God has triumphed. In Numbers 14, 24, it says that Caleb had a different spirit, a spirit of belief. It was a spirit of faith. All 12 spies had seen the land. They had seen the giants. They all saw the big. And the majority measured their giants against their own strength. Caleb measured the giants against God. The majority had great big giants and a little God. Caleb had a great big God and little giants. See, when we compare, the giants come up short. The big is small compared to God. What's the difference between the viewpoints? They both saw the giants, they both saw the big. But Caleb had faith, believed his God was bigger. 
Why? He remembered. He remembered. Caleb says, give me this hill country, give me this mountain, give me this mountainous region where he had seen giants, the strongholds of the Anakim. Caleb wanted to go back and get those guys to prove who God was. So what? Do we remember? Do we remember? Is the God who healed your heart after a painful divorce able to sustain you and able to provide for you or able to provide companionship to you again? Is the God who brought you through severe depression 10 years ago any less able to get you out of the pit today? Is the God who provided for you financially in your past crisis able to provide today? Is the God who found you your last job able to help you find your new job? Is the God who brought you through your last health crisis still able to provide healing today? A parenting crisis, relationship challenge, whatever it is, remember, remember. We don't live in the past, but we must remember what God has done in the past. And no matter what the big is in your life today, remember. Remember how you've grown in the past dealing with it. Caleb says, bring it on. Bring it on. Give me this mountain. I want to go back to where the giants are to once again prove how big God is. Remember, God has turned this country around before. I know we're looking at some dark days. We are really concerned about what's going on. But God sent revival and spiritual awakening. His hand is on this country. He founded this country on the word of God. Many of the original founders of this country were men of God, pastors. The people who came over on the Mayflower, it was like a, a small group, small church Bible study that came over so they could worship, worship God. Remember. The second key to winning over the big is wait, wait. Wait for God. Wait for God's timing. Wait for God's timetable. Wait for God's direction. Sometimes we have to wait we remember, and then sometimes we have to wait. Caleb was 40 years old when God, through Moses, had promised him his portion of the land. Now he's 85 years old. That's a long time to wait. It's a long time to wait. In verse 10, it says, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. Wait, this guy had patience. Why? Because he had faith. He believed that God was going to answer, that would fulfill his promise. And I can imagine Caleb, as Israel wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, I can say, God, these are the best years of my life, my greatest strength, my greatest potential. And I'm wandering in this wilderness with all these faithless people. Have you ever said to God, God, these are the best years of my life. Why are you keeping me waiting? Why am I waiting? And one by one, all of his friends and acquaintances, all his age, died. They were all gone. The only two left were Joshua and him. Patience. How would you like to be one of the two oldest men in the entire nation? <laughs> That's what he faced. Caleb still waits after 45 years after the promise. His strength is undiminished. 
I hate to wait. Anybody else here hate to wait? I hate waiting. I don't care whether it's grocery lines, ticket lines, traffic, bank lines. We have instant everything, so we're not good at waiting. But sometimes, after remembering how God demonstrated his power in the past over the big, sometimes he has us wait. He has us wait. I shared this story once before. In 1983, Judy and I moved from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, to Seattle. We were in ministry then. Judy was already in Seattle with Brittany, who was almost two years old at that time. My cousin had agreed to help me load the 24-foot rider truck and drive it to Seattle. And since we were young back then, we decided we're going to drive straight through. You know, we're going to do it. It was December. Not a lot of smart, but we were young. Okay, you can do anything when you're young. Well, it was 3 in the morning. We had just stopped for gas in Ellensburg in eastern Washington, and it was 5 below zero. One mile outside of the truck stop, I heard a boom. The truck started to pull to the right. I allowed the truck to slow down and pulled off to the shoulder of the interstate and parked on the shoulder. Blown tire. We were three hours out of Seattle. In the mor- three in the morning, it was. Five below, and I'm tired, I'm frustrated, and I, of course I'm mad at God. I'm mad at God. Where was God when I needed him? I only had three more hours. Why didn't you do something? So I remember getting out of the truck, going over the freeway and getting a ride back to where the truck stop, last truck stop was. I walked and I hitched a ride back, and my cousin assured me that he would keep the motor running and keep Judy's plants alive. Okay? That was one of the issues. I don't know if you ever ever tried to get a rider repair on the phone at 3 a.m. They kept, I kept going on hold, on hold, and whatever. Finally, three hours, it took forever. Three hours later, about 6 a.m., I finally got a hold of somebody and got some action. They sent a tow truck with a replacement tire to get us back on the road. Finally, 8 a.m., you know, we've been driving all this time, three hours out. We have a five-hour delay. I am really ticked. I'm mad, I'm cold, I'm hungry. And we hit the road again at 8 o'clock. We had not gone 10 miles when we began to see what we had missed. Cars and trucks literally by the dozens, every which way in the ditch, turned over wrecks. It was a mess, absolute mess. What I realized then was that an ice storm had come over the mountains and create an incredibly treacherous black ice. And there were so many accidents, they finally closed the pass. Okay? Now, at 8 a.m., the roads were sanded, the pass was open, and we were able to just breeze right through over the mountain pass. God made me wait. Why? Because Judy's piano was on that truck, and had I wrecked it, my marriage would have been over. (laughs) Waiting, waiting. See, God is sovereign. God is never early. He's never late. He's always right on time. Why does he do that? Because he's perfect. I said, God, why can't you be early? You're always, you're never, but he's just always on time. He's perfect. 
See, waiting demonstrates dependence on God. Waiting demonstrates faith. I cannot do it. Looking at God because he is a solution. Waiting demonstrates trust. Maybe I'm not ready for the solution yet. Maybe God has some more work to do through this big in my life. Maybe God really is in control. His timing is best. Sometimes God makes us wait because we're not ready for the big, or the big is not ready for us. Knowing that God is in control, God keeps his promises, sometimes we just have to wait. Might be the salvation of a spouse, a healing from a disease, salvation of a child or parent, the restoration of a marriage. Some of you here this morning have been dealing with the big for years, for years. Caleb waited for God. How do we deal with the waiting? Some of my observations about waiting. I don't have these down on notes, but if you want to write them down. First of all, waiting rarely makes sense. Waiting, waiting rarely makes sense. That's why Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Oh, Okay. When we read Job, the book of Job, we discover that man does not always know the backstory. God does not always answer our questions. Sometimes he keeps stuff hidden. He doesn't tell us. And he's not doing it on purpose to torment us. He's doing it so that we look in faith to God. Trust when we don't know. Secondly, waiting is focused on God, not me. It's not about us, it's about God. In other words, it's not about me. It's always going to be about God. Three, waiting is focused on being, not doing. Being, not doing. You know, we establish value of people by what they do, not who they be. That's poor grammar, but get the point. I remember late, late in, my, in the life of my mother, my mother developed uh, pretty significant dementia or Alzheimer's, not sure exactly, and she reached the point where she could no longer do. She couldn't do things. And she was the kind of person that always did. Her value was on what she did. And she could no longer do. But her value to us, and in God's eyes, was not diminished in any way. Because it was who she was. It was her being, not her doing, that gave her value. Waiting also requires us to do what the first lesson is, is remember. Remember, we went through, we've been through different significant times in our life as, as in ministry, and some of those times have been something called, and something you all have experienced, which is called unemployment. Unemployment, when the economy dropped and all of a sudden I got, I got fired by my best friend. It was a traumatic experience. And during that time, I did everything. I do, do, do. I was doing everything I could to move forward and find the right place and go, whatever. And God just kept the door shut. Just kept the door shut. I began to despair and to question God. I doubted myself and my calling. And one day, during my devotions, I came to Psalm 77. I've shared with you how I read a little bit of scripture out of each, each of the five major portions of the Bible 
every day. And so I got to it. It's happened to be Psalm 77. Psalm 77 is a lament. Okay, it's a lament, which, is, which really fit what I was feeling. <laughs> I'm lamenting. Very appropriate. I was complaining. That's another word. I was complaining to God. What are you doing? What are you doing? And verses 1 to 9 are the complaint, which includes five questions to God. You've probably asked these questions. And the, they're great questions, and the answer to every one of these questions is no. It's an assumed answer, no, the way the structure is. So there's a question, and the assumed answer is no. And, and so I went through these questions. David asked these two. He said, will the Lord reject us forever? No. Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he withheld his compassion? These, these questions and many more were in my heart as I interrogated God. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> tried to interrogate God. I'm asking him the same questions. I said, man, do I identify with this? And then the psalm, and write down Psalm 77. Read it. You, you're going to need it. <laughs> then he says, then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. And God spoke to me. He said, I want you to remember. I want you to think about it. So what I did is I said, okay, what is my earliest remembrance? I, I remember a couple of things from age three. So what I did is I went back to the earliest age that I could actually remember and began to remember God intersecting with me personally in ways and intervention, his blessings and stuff. I went back and I began to remember all the things that God had done in my life, for my life, for our family, all the th things. I went, literally, almost four hours later, I finished. It took me four hours to remember. I came out with a lot of faith. It was amazing. I meditated on every one of those acts. God is not limited by time. He's eternal. And everything is present tense to him. We need to meditate on those. Waiting is very hard. There's one thing I cannot do. That's nothing. I had somebody told me that the other day. It's one thing I just can't do. That's nothing, okay? You got people like Greg Limbo had, had hip surgery, and if there's anything Greg can't do, it's nothing. <laughs> it's really hard. If you're active and you like to do things, as they, and, and waiting is really, really hard. Number six, the last 30 minutes of the wait is the hardest. Okay, last 30 minutes of the wait is, hard, is the hardest. If you're in this situation where you're waiting too, all creation has a purpose. You do too. All creation has a purpose, no matter what part of your life, no matter what age, young, old, doesn't matter. God has a purpose for you.
Number eight, you don't always know what to do. That's okay. We don't always know what to do. But as we wait on God, he'll tell us. The third key to winning over the big, third key is to obey. Number three, obey. Obey God fully. Three times Caleb says, I have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now, this is not just obeying a set of written rules. This is talking about the character of God, the concerns of God, the wishes of God. The Ten Commandments give us a good place to start understanding how we work in our relationship with God and our fellow human beings. But if all we do is follow regulations and have no relationship, it will never work. Jesus said all these external acts following the rules and regulations are empty effort. It's all about relationship. It's about our heart. It's what's inside of our hearts. And when we are lined up with God in relationship, we do the right thing as part of our nature because our, our heart has changed. It becomes who we are. Obey wholeheartedly. Our obedience is an effort to please a God we love, not appease a God we fear. Let me say that again. Our obedience is an effort to please a God we love, not appease a God we fear. All other religions are trying to appease their God because they fear him. Do we fear God? Yes, we respect him. But we're not here to appease our God. We're here to please our God. Following God wholeheartedly means it's from our heart. And when we face the big, it's crucial to know God, to know God's will, know God's character, know God's concerns, know God's wishes, and hear God's voice. Hear God's voice. Then do it wholeheartedly. He'll take the rest of it. We must first be possessed totally by God before we can possess all he has for us. So in Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek him first. The fourth key to winning over the big, number four, take action. Take action. Just do it. Verse 12 says, The Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Remember, wait, obey, and action. Notice dependence on God followed by personal action. This isn't passivity. It's dependence on God followed by personal action. It's not a passive faith. This is an active faith. He talks about driving the enemy out. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. Salvation is grace by grace through faith. Works or action is the result, is the result of salvation. James 2.17 says, faith without works is dead. Faith produces works. To win over the big, there's also action. He had to drive the enemy out. And failure to drive the enemy out would result in less than total victory. And there are some actions we need to take to drive the enemy out. Drive the enemy out of your home by turning off immoral movies or TV shows. Driving the enemy out by putting a filter on your internet connection. Drive the enemy out by cleansing your mind. Then fill your mind with the word of God. Drive the enemy out by setting your priorities straight. Drive the enemy out by prayer and fasting. 
drive the enemy out by concentrating on the positive, the victories, not negativism, defeatism, or criticism. Looking at the good, not the bad. Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good report, let your mind dwell on these things. Oh, man, it's so easy to let your mind dwell on all the other things. Tell them hi for me. It's so easy to dwell on the negative. And when, especially when you look at any, any news source, basically, it's crazy. And he says, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good report, let your mind dwell on those things. Doesn't mean you're not informed of what's going on, but don't let your mind dwell on those things. And he says, and the peace that passes all comprehension will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Action. Where are you today? Where are you today? Many of you have the big in your life right now. You're looking at 2022 and saying, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. A challenge, an obstacle, a mountain, a giant. Remember, wait, obey, take action. The big. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have everything under control and you know what's going on. And I pray, Lord Jesus, no matter what circumstances, or no matter what obstacle, no matter what the big is in each individual life, that you would help us to look back and remember, 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 and to wait on you. God, build our faith. There's a lot of scary stuff going on right now. But we're not building our life on all those things. We're asking that you help us to build our life on Jesus Christ. Focus on you. And, Father, that you would do supernatural things in us and through us. In Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?